uh, it's a real joy to come and share with you because we're at a very special time. I guess in the Christian calendar, today really is Palm Sunday, time when we remember that Jesus came into Jerusalem on the first day of the week, and that was, of course, the week that led up to the Passover, and then, of course, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And so we come in to celebrate that this coming week and this coming weekend. And uh, I would like us to really think about that today and think about the events that led up to the time that Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah, was crucified. And uh, in particular, today, I want us to be thinking about the Last Supper that Yeshua had with his disciples. When I say Yeshua, I'm, of course, speaking of Jesus. That's his Hebrew name. Of course, when his mom and dad called him, they didn't say Jesus. They said Yeshua, because that's Hebrew. And they called him in it by his Hebrew name, and it has wonderful meaning. God is salvation. That's why the angel said to Miriam, his mother, you shall call his name Yeshua, because he will save his people from their sins. And so today we're going to be celebrating all that Yeshua has done for us. And there is absolutely no coincidence that it was Passover as the Last Supper that Jesus had with his disciples a Passover Seder, as we call it. And it's because Passover speaks so clearly of the redemption that God has for his people, his plan of redemption, not only for the Israelite slaves, three and a half, four thousand years ago, that were led out of slavery into freedom, but also for those of us who are trusting in Jesus, our Passover lamb. This story of Passover is not just a historical lesson, it's not just telling stories of what God did thousands of years ago, but really it is a living drama for each one of us today because each one of us through faith in the Messiah have been set free from slavery, not to Egypt, but from slavery to sin and the devil. Through faith in the Messiah, we have been redeemed and we are now free people in the Messiah. So today we're going to go on this bit of a journey of redemption, having a look at the Passover and how the symbols of Passover speak about the theme of Passover, which is redemption, but also how the story of Passover is a prophetic picture of Jesus, our Passover lamb. And so, cast your minds back to that last supper that Jesus had with his disciples, and remember that uh, he sat down with his disciples at the Passover meal that had been prepared by Peter and John, I'm going to read to you from uh, Luke chapter 22 and read from verse 7 and 8 and verse 13. So Luke 22, then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. And Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare us the Passover that we may eat. And verse 13, and they went and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. And so there's been quite a lot of preparation even for this morning. But during this time of Passover, there's a lot of preparation that goes on in Jewish families all around the world. Because the Feast of Passover is also known as the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And during this time of Passover, we eat nothing that contains any leaven or yeast. In fulfillment of God's command in Exodus chapter 12, he said, get rid of the leaven out of your houses for the time of Passover. Now, leaven 
is often used in the Bible as a symbol for sin. In olden times, and still today, of course, we use just a little bit of leaven to ferment an entire batch of dough. It's the leaven that causes the dough to rise and become puffed up, just like sin causes us to become puffed up in our own estimation. So during this time of Passover, we eat no leaven as a way of saying that we want to break from the daily cycle of sin in our lives. So for about six weeks prior to Passover, most Jewish homes undergo complete spring cleaning. So this has been happening in Jewish homes. The women of the house have been given the job to get ready for Passover and to remove every single speck of leaven. Well, almost every speck. Because the mother of the house has hidden some crumbs of bread somewhere in the house. And it's up to the man to discover those crumbs. So the father comes home from work on the night just before Passover, and he takes up some unusual-looking cleaning tools. A wooden spoon, a white serviette, and a feather. And the father goes on what we call in Hebrew the betikat chametz. Betikat chametz. Everyone say the word chametz. Okay, don't spit at the person next to you when you're saying that. Chametz. It's the word for leaven. Betikat chametz is the search for the leaven. Now, where could the crumbs be? The wife could have hidden the crumbs somewhere up in the attic or under the carpet, behind the refrigerator. It could be very difficult for the husband to discover those crumbs. But fortunately for him, his wife has been kind enough to hide the crumbs in exactly the same place as she did last year. And the same as year before that, year before that too. It's just a role play to get ready for Passover. So the father wanders around the house pretending he doesn't know where the crumbs are. Then without too much difficulty, he finds the crumbs and he sweeps them up with a feather into the wooden spoon. He doesn't touch those crumbs with his hands because they represent sin and are contaminated. So he wraps up the whole bundle with a white serviette and then takes us down to the local synagogue. And of course, where I come from, the Holy Land of Australia, Caulfield area, there's about 75 synagogues and... Uh, or sorry, 45 synagogues, 75,000 Jewish people or so. So the uh, synagogues are very busy at this time of the year with the bonfire at the back of the synagogue or uh, in a a little um, uh, fire pit or something. They come and each man gathers and throws their bundles into the flames. And then the father returns home and he proudly proclaims to his whole family, I have purged my house of all leaven. But just to make sure that his wife hasn't been careless and left some crumbs of bread somewhere in the house, he has a short prayer which goes like this. May all manner of leaven that I've neither seen nor removed be considered as null and void and as the dust of the earth. Amen. So that kind of makes sure that everything's kosher for Passover time. Now you might remember that this is also the background of the New Testament. This whole idea of getting rid of leaven was not just something in the Old Testament. It came all the way through into the New Testament too. The Apostle Paul taught about this. Who was the Apostle Paul? He was a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi, an Orthodox Jew of his day, who became a believer in Jesus. And he taught the Corinthians that before they take of the Lord's Supper, which comes out of the traditional Passover service, as we will see today, of course, he said that when you eat the Lord's Supper, that you must Make sure that you prepare yourselves by getting rid of any leaven in your lives. You have to examine your hearts before the Lord, lest you take of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. He said to the Corinthians, 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 and 8, he said, You should keep the feast, not with bread made with yeast, the bread of malice and wickedness, but you should keep the feast with bread made without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. So just as a Jewish home is prepared for Passover, so we prepare our hearts before the Lord, lest we take in an unworthy manner. Now the father of the house wears some special ceremonial garments. He wears a special white robe, which is called a kittle in Jewish tradition. White is considered the color for royalty, worn by the priests and the kings. So it's royalty and purity. So the father wears this white robe as he is, in a sense, like a, a king and a priest in his home. And he's going to lead his, uh, his family through a Passover Seder, Seder. Now, you also know that Orthodox Jewish men wear special coverings of their heads as a sign of respect before God. Covering is called a yamukah or a kippah for short. And it's, a, it's just a, a sign of submission before a holy God. And we're going to go through a Seder. Seder is a Hebrew word which means order because Passover follows a very specific order all the way through the service. And this order has been set over 2,000 years ago. And the order is found in this book called the Haggadah. Haggadah means the telling. And this book tells the story of Passover with lots of pictures and stories from the Bible and also stories from the the rabbis in Jewish tradition. It tells the whole exodus of the Jewish people out of Egypt. Now notice I, I opened up the book at the front like that, whereas English starts at the back of the book that way. Hebrew is much older than English, so we must have that right. That's the front over there. All right, so by the time of Jesus, there was already a primitive version of the Haggadah that was used. So again, Jesus uh, reclining at the table with his disciples they would have used an order of service. And uh, that order was already written in the uh, Mishnah, uh, Jewish rabbinic writings of the time. So the idea of reclining at the table. You read in the Gospels how Jesus reclined. There's a reason for that. Not just because they didn't have chairs, but the reclining is a reminder of being a free person. The Haggadah tells us we must recline at Passover to remind us that we are no longer slaves. So everybody, recline, okay? Lean back on your chairs. Lean on the person next to you. If you don't know them, just introduce yourself first. But I'm sure you probably know each other by now. All right, lean back. Kids, this is your chance. You can slouch at the table and you won't get into trouble. All right, leaning at Passover is important. Now, the, the Passover begins with the lighting of candles. Now, you all have candles on your table, and they've all been switched on already. But I will light the candles on this table. This is normally the duty of the woman of the house. I'm sorry that my wife Louise is not with me this morning, but she has been leading a 25-hour prayer meeting, and she's still uh, doing that right now. And thank you for your prayers for us as a family. We are really trusting the Lord for healing for our our. Um, daughter-in-law, Abigail, who's been suffering with cancer, breast cancer for two and a half years now almost. So we're praying for a breakthrough, really, for this time. It's very, very uh, needed. But the women normally light the candles, and they bring the light into the house. And I always say to my wife, she's the light of my life, but she brings the light into the house on a 
Friday night, but also in Jewish tradition, candles are lit for every special festival. And a special prayer is said for the Passover candles. And it goes like this. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asheh kedishanu b'mitzotav v'tzivanu l'adlich neshel Pesach. And that is, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by his commandments and commanded us to light the Passover candles. Now, you can search through the Bible and you won't find any command to light Passover candles. It's just a tradition. But it's a lovely tradition as the women bring the light into the house. Now, once the candles are lit, the service really begins. And the youngest person in the house comes forward and asks the meaning of Passover. He or she recites the traditional four questions. The four questions are in the Haggadah. So the asking of the questions is very important. It's the way that we've been able to transmit the story of Passover onto the next generation for literally thousands of years. And so the Bible anticipates this and says that when your children ask you what is the meaning of the, uh, the stipulations and decrees at Passover time, you should tell them. It is because of what the Lord has done for me with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Because redemption really is at the heart of Passover. It is the theme of Passover. Now, not only are there four questions at Passover time, but there are also four cups of wine. Four cups of wine that uh, are taken during the time of Passover correspond to four promises that God made to the Israelites in Exodus chapter 6. One day if you have a look, Exodus 6, there's several promises, at least four specific promises that God makes. So the four cups correspond to four promises, and the first cup is called the Kiddush cup, which is the cup of sanctification. Then the second cup is the cup of plagues, and we remember the ten plagues. The third cup is the cup that comes after supper. This is the cup of redemption. Remember that? We'll talk about that later. This Fourth cup is the cup of Hallel, the cup of praise. But it is with the first cup that the host offers a blessing for the rest of the night to follow. Holding this Kiddush cup, this cup of sanctification aloft, the Father offers a blessing for the rest of the night. Now, if you read in the Gospels, Jesus took at least two cups of wine that we know of at Passover time. He took the cup at the beginning of the night. It also says he took the cup after supper, but there are four cups that he would have drunk that night. An interesting thing once again, these cups are not commanded in the Bible. It's a Jewish tradition, but it's interesting how Jesus followed Jewish tradition and also gave that tradition all, uh, even more deeper meaning than it has without the uh, Messiah himself. So we'll see how that all fits in with the story of God's redemption. But the first cup is the cup of Kiddush, the cup of sanctification. He would have said a prayer that goes like this. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu melech alam, borei priya gafen. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. So with that, uh, that cup, the service begins, and then the service continues with the answering of the questions. The first question that the child asks is, Why is this night different from every other night of the year? And we who know the story of Passover are obligated to respond, and we tell the children, it is because of what the Lord has done for me. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, he has redeemed us out of Egypt. 
As I said, redemption is at the heart of Passover. It's the theme of Passover. But Passover tells us not just uh, of the message of God's redemption, but the means of, God, of God's redemption. And that was through the sacrifice of a Passover lamb. The Israelites were told to take a spotless lamb and then use a hyssop plant to take the blood of that lamb and apply it to the doorposts of their houses. They had to paint the top of their doorposts, and then also with the blood, they painted the two side posts as well. And because of their obedience to God's commands and because of their faith, the Israelites were saved from the ravages of the tenth plague that was to befall Egypt. What was the tenth plague? The death of the firstborn son. You all do remember that, don't you? All right, I'm going to test you with the other nine plagues in a little while. But ten plagues, the last one, the death of the firstborn son was the most horrific plague. And because the Israelites painted the doorposts with the blood of the lamb, death was forced to pass over their homes. That's where we get the name Passover from, or in Hebrew, Pesach. Everyone say Pesach. Another guttural word, Pesach. The holiday which commemorates the time when the angel of death passed over the houses of Israel because of the blood the blood of those Passover lambs. Now, that was a great act of redemption. But for us who are believers in the Messiah, we can see how, as we look back in history, how that first night of Passover was a wonderful object lesson of an even greater redemption that was yet to come. And that is through the blood that was shed by another Passover lamb, the Messiah Jesus. For just as none of those bones of those first Passover lambs were broken in Egypt, so none of Jesus' bones were broken in his death on the cross. And just as the Israelites took the blood and painted the doorposts of the houses, so we too, who believe in Jesus, we take the blood of Jesus and we apply it to the doorposts of our hearts, so to speak. We take the blood of Jesus and apply it by faith to our lives. And then through faith in the Messiah, we pass over from death over into life. We pass from darkness into the kingdom of light because of Jesus, our Passover lamb, who has been sacrificed for us. And so another question that is asked, why on this night do we eat only unleavened bread? Unleavened bread in Hebrew is called matzah. Matzah. Now, one of the items I have on my table here is this matzah cover, or also called a matzah tosh. In this matzah cover, there are three layers of unleavened bread. Each one of these three layers are separated by a piece of cloth. Now, at this time of the service, the father takes out the middle layer of matzah. The middle layer is removed, broken in half. One half is put down, the other half is given a special name. This is called the afi kumen. The afi kumen. Everyone say that word with me. Afi kumen. Well done. You all speak Greek. This is the only Greek word found in Passover, and it's rather unusual. Why should there be a Greek word in the Passover celebration? Well, it's a mystery. No one really can answer that. It's a tradition that started about 2,000 years ago, and it's continued still today. What happens with this afikumen is that it is wrapped up in a white cloth. It is buried somewhere in the house, wrapped up and buried. Nobody actually knows where this afikumen has been hidden. Later on, the children have to find that afikumen before the service can be completed. Now, normally it's hidden in the house where nobody can find it. Later on, the children go searching around the house. The one who finds it is given a gift for retrieving it. That's quite an ingenious way to keep the children occupied. 
until the end of the night, which can take a long time at Passover, three or four hours. But there's a lot more to it than that I'll explain later. Another two questions. Why on this night do we eat only bitter herbs, and why do we dip our vegetables in salt water? So let me explain those questions to you by showing you this plate. This is a Passover plate or Seder plate. And on this special plate, we place symbolic foods in each one of these compartments. And each one of these foods are pictures for us of redemption, which is the story and theme of Passover. Now, thankfully, to those who prepared for us, you have a Seder plate of your own on each table. And so we're going to go and look at each one of these foods and, and uh, discuss them, and in some cases, eat them. The first food is called kapas, or greens. And this food reminds us of springtime and life, because, in fact, Passover is in the spring in the Northern Hemisphere, of course, in Israel. So the parsley represents life. But we're going to eat parsley dipped into salt water. Salt water represents the tears of life. And it reminds us of the Israelite slaves in Egypt. Their lives were full of tears. The Bible actually says that they were so badly oppressed that they cried out to God and it says God saw their tears and he sent them a redeemer. God saw their tears. Isn't that good to, to know? God does see our tears. In fact, the psalmist says he even counts our tears. So, take a piece of parsley, and we're going to dip it into the salt water, and we'll eat it after I say a special blessing. All right? A sprig of parsley for each person. Aren't you excited? All right. Everyone got their parsley? Dip it into salt water. Make sure you get the real salty part of the water. All right, and then hold it up. No eating yet? Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech alam, borei puri ha'adama. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth the fruit of the earth. Okay, eat the parsley. Mmm. Good for freshening up your breath. Okay. Now the next food that we're going to eat is the matzah. Remember that God commanded the Israelites to eat Passover with unleavened bread, with bitter herbs, and with the Passover lamb. Those are the three most ancient and biblical elements of the Passover celebration. And so we're going to eat a piece of the matzah. Remember, matzah is the unleavened bread. And uh, we tell the Israelites, so we tell the children, that the reason that we eat matzah is twofold. One, we were told to get rid of leaven out of our houses, so we eat unleavened bread. Two, it's because the Israelites were in such a hurry to get out of Egypt on that night of Passover that they took with them the unleavened, cake, uh, unleavened cakes of dough. They had no time to wait for bread to rise, so they took the unleavened bread with them. And so we'll eat a piece of this matzah. Let me first uh, give thanks for it. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, hamotzi lechem mina aretz. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. Amen. All right, take a piece of matzah. You have matzah on your table. And go ahead and eat it. 
it's an acquired taste. Well, actually in the Haggadah, the, the Matzah, it's called the bread of affliction because it reminds us of the Israelite slaves in Egypt, but also if you only eat matzah for seven or eight days, you'll know why it's called the bread of affliction. <laughs> I won't go into it anymore. But let us now eat the matzah. If you thought that that was uh, not so tasty, I'm going to make it much more tasty for you, much more tastier, and that is by eating the horseradish. The horseradish is also a very important part of Passover. Eat with bitter herbs, unleavened bread, and, and the Passover lamb. So we're going to eat some of the horseradish, and we're all told to take a tablespoonful. The reason for this is that the horseradish must bring tears to your eyes. <laughs> Why do we want to cry? We want to cry because we want to remember what it's like to be a slave. It's a life full of tears. So we remember the slavery of the Israelites in Egypt. So take matzah and scoop up some horseradish. Now you have to make sure that the person next to you is taking a fair amount, not just a little dip, a big scoop. And I'll say a blessing. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by his commandments and commanded us to eat bitter herbs. Now this is a chance to actually eat a something that is commanded in the Bible to do so. So, are you all ready? Eat your horseradish. Not so bad, is it? Now, of course, you've got much kinder horseradish, creamed horseradish, freshly ground horseradish, goes straight to your sinuses. But, now that we have a bitter taste in our mouths, we remember what it's like to be a slave. It's bitter. Bitter slavery, bitter toil, and reminds us of the bitterness of sin as well. But we're going to eat something that is sweeter. This is apple. Now normally you would add honey nuts and cinnamon, and the, uh, the mixture reminds us of the mortar that the Israelites used to make bricks for Pharaoh. And it is sweet mixture, yet it represents bitter toil, which reminds us that the bitter, bitterest of toil is made sweet with the promise of redemption. The Israelites were slaves in Egypt. Their lives were bitter. But God had said to Abraham, our forefather, your descendants will be slaves in a foreign land for 400 years, but I will take them out. So there was this anticipation of slavery, but also anticipation of redemption. That's like our lives. We are waiting for our final redemption, isn't it? The coming of Jesus, the Messiah, to this world to fix up this broken planet. And so our lives will be made sweet with that promise of redemption. So take the matzah and scoop up some of the apple mixture. And you can go ahead and eat it. Okay, now I'm going to get you to do something, which is make a sandwich. I bet you didn't know that Jewish people invented the sandwich. We did. And the first guy who, who talked about it was Rabbi Hillel. This is called Hillel's sandwich. He said that we should combine 
the horseradish and the bitter herb in between two pieces of matzah. And by so doing, we're reminded that our bitterness is offset by sweetness. So, you know that Rabbi Hillel was uh, the uh, founder of one of the main schools of Judaism in Jerusalem just prior to the time of Jesus. And the Apostle Paul went to Rabbi Hillel's school. There were two schools, Rabbi Shammai and Rabbi Hillel. They used to argue a lot with one another. The Apostle Paul was taught by Rabbi. Anyone remember what the Bible says? Gamliel. Gamliel was the, great, uh, the grandson of Rabbi Hillel. So the Apostle Paul would have perhaps eaten a Hillel sandwich. So go ahead and scoop up horseradish and then scoop up the apple and combine them together and eat it together. How is that? Any better? <laughs> okay. <clears throat> the next food we're going to eat is the onion. <laughs> How many cheese? We're not going to eat the onion. But what happens when you slice up onion? You cry. Again, it's a reminder of the bitterness of life. The root of life was bitter for the Israelites in Egypt. And the bitter, bitter onion reminds us of the bitterness of life. It's called chatseret. The bitter herb is called maror. And the apple mixture is called charoset. charoset. All right, I'm going to talk about the egg on, our, on my table. I'm not sure that you have egg on your table. Do you? Yeah, you have one egg, is it? Okay. Well, the egg reminds us of the temple sacrifices in Jerusalem at the time of Passover. The egg is called Chagigah. It's given a name, Chagigah, which means, well, actually, I don't know what it means. It was a name given to those special sacrifices at Passover time. But what it reminds us is of the temple that used to stand in Jerusalem. We actually eat the egg uh, that is roasted. So we normally roast it by fire. And we eat this egg reminding us of the temple that was destroyed by fire. It was destroyed by Titus and the Roman armies in 70 AD. So you could come with me to Jerusalem one day. God willing, you want to come on a trip to Israel one day. But I can't show you the temple. The temple was destroyed 2,000 years ago by Titus and the Roman armies. We now have no temple. We eat egg, and we peel the egg, and we eat it dipped into salt water. Now, I think if those are boiled eggs, at least one of you are going to enjoy that, if you want to go ahead and eat it, dipped into salt water. Salt water reminds us of what? Tears, because we shed tears over the destruction of the temple. The next food is called zoroa. Zoroah, it's the shank bone of the lamb. Now, Passover is also known as Chag Pesach, the feast of the Passover lamb. 
because we remember the lambs that were slain in Egypt at Passover time. Now we don't have a temple, so we can't make sacrifices. We have the bone, the shank bone of the lamb to remind us of the Passover lambs that used to be sacrificed. So there's a very important uh, question that arises out of the last two elements. If there is no temple in Jerusalem, if there is no altar on which to make sacrifices, how can we all be forgiven for our sins? Now this is a very important question. It applies not just to Jewish people, but everybody. God created the sacrificial system. He instructed Moses on how to go about sacrificing animals. He instructed Aaron and the sons of Aaron, the high priests, how to officiate over the sacrificial system in the temple and how the sacrifices would bring forgiveness for the sins of the people. It says in the Torah, which is the first five books of Moses, in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, I have given it to you on the altar, that is the sacrifice, to make atonement for your souls. It is the blood by reason of its life that makes atonement for one's soul. In other words, without the shedding of the lifeblood of the animal, there's no forgiveness for our sins. And that was not just for the Jewish people, it's for the, the sins of the, the world, because there were some of the feasts that there were sacrifices made for the other nations as well. So without a temple, without sacrifices, how can we be forgiven today for our sins? Well, Judaism came up with an answer for this, and they say that without the temple, without sacrifices, forgiveness of sin comes through repentance, prayer, and good deeds. Repentance, prayer, and good deeds. They've replaced the sacrifices for the time being until the Messiah comes again. Sorry, until the Messiah comes from a Jewish perspective and builds the temple. But we who believe in Jesus as the Messiah know that these three things, repentance, prayer, and good deeds, are good things, but not enough to bring forgiveness. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. That is why 2,000 years ago, there was a Jewish man, Yochanan Hamatbil, John the Baptist, who was baptizing people in the Jordan River. And his gaze fell upon another man coming down the hill to be baptized, and John declared of him, his cousin Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world. That is how we're forgiven for our sins, through Jesus, the Lamb of God, who came and shed his blood for us on the cross. We don't need a temple anymore. He is our temple. We don't need the sacrifice anymore. He is the final sacrifice. He is also our great high priest. So God has provided for our forgiveness of sin, not just through repentance, prayer, and good deeds. Those are things that follow our redemption, but through faith in Jesus the Messiah. And that's, of course, a very important part of the gospel that we share with our Jewish people, that Messiah has come to bring us forgiveness for our sin. All right, so now let's continue with the second cup. The second cup at Passover is the cup of plagues. The cup of plagues. Now, for each one of the ten plagues, we drop out a droplet of wine onto a saucer. That's because we're expressing grief. We don't rejoice over the ten plagues. They were horrific judgments on Egypt, especially the death of the firstborn. It was a result of Pharaoh's hard heart, and he refused to do God's will. So it's a lesson that we should always be willing and wanting to do God's will in our lives. 
But then for each one of those ten plagues, we drop out a droplet of wine as a way of expressing our grief. So let's see if you can remember the ten plagues, okay? All right. I won't make you call them out in order, but just give me some, some of those ten plagues. Let me count them up, all right? Frogs, locusts, hail, boils, blood, water to blood, come on, flies, darkness, Uh, hail, hail and fire coming down, yep. Sorry? Did we say hail, did we? Okay. Well, come on. There's some more. <laughs> no. Apple? No, that's not a plague. All right, but you've forgotten something that some kids come home from school with in their hair. Lice. And you've forgotten something. If you were a farmer, you wouldn't forget this one. Cattle farmer, you wouldn't forget cattle disease. So that's, uh, well, at least I think we got the 10. And death of the firstborn, of course. <clears throat> so, yes, we probably repeated hail. So, 10 plagues poured out upon the Egyptians, and we remember that with the second cup. Now, after the second cup, we normally come to eat the meal. But we're not going to be eating much more than what you've already kind of got yourself involved in. But I do see there's dip on your tables, all sorts of nice dips. Maybe if you have some matzah left over, you can keep on dipping your hand into the bowl. Does that sound familiar? Well, of course, in Jewish food, especially Middle Eastern food, there's a lot of dipping that goes on. And it, it actually says in the scriptures, Jesus said, the one who dips his hand into the bowl uh, is the one who will betray me. Um, <laughs> not that it was pointing to the one who was going to just do it straight after that, I think. And so um, there's a lot of dipping that goes on. And depending on where you come from as a Jewish person will reflect in the food that you eat at Passover time. So there are two main groups of Jews. There are Ashkenazi Jews. These are Jews from uh, Eastern Europe. And that's where my family all come from. We are Ashkenazi Jews. Then there are Sephardic Jews. Sephardic are North African and uh, Spanish Jews, North Africa and Spain and, and those areas in the Middle East. Uh, and our customs are a little different, but we're all Jewish. Why are we two main kind of groups of Jews? Well, we all were exiled out of Israel 2,000 years ago. And so uh, depending on where you kind of landed up, uh, you became either Ashkenazi or Sephardic Jews. And... Um, of course, um, the food you eat is quite different. I like the Sephardic food, in fact, but of course we also uh, enjoy our Ashkenazi, more European, Eastern European um, uh, foods that my wife will be cooking this week. Now, uh, as a ministry, of course, we dedicated to sharing the gospel with Jewish people. Since I've been with you last, God has blessed us uh, tremendously, even though we all went through that terrible time of COVID, and there were a lot of challenges and a lot of... Uh, trauma that we all kind of uh, went through, experienced. But yet, in the midst of COVID, we were able to rebuild and completely finish our Caulfield Messianic Center. And we were able to do that in 2020. And by the end of 2020, the Caulfield Messianic Center was completed and is completely debt-free. So we built it debt-free, praise to the Lord. And uh, it's a wonderful new facility 
partly an old, the old church that's been completely renovated into our Caulfield Messianic Center, what we call our, the very first Messianic synagogue and uh, uh, ministry center as a, uh, as a custom-made one in the Southern Hemisphere. So we're right in the heart of the Jewish community in Melbourne, and of course we're there to proclaim Yeshua, the Messiah. And uh, it's uh, been a blessing amongst all the challenges uh, that we've all been through. And so uh, thank you so much for your prayers, and uh, please continue to pray for us. Louise, my wife, has been leading, as I said, a 24-hour prayer night, but she didn't take into account that Daylight Saving would come along. It turned into a 25-hour prayer <laughs> night and day, and um, praying for breakthrough, we're praying for revival amongst ourselves, a revival amongst the Jewish people that we live in and uh, minister amongst. And uh, we're praying for the good news to, to uh, take root amongst Jewish people in Australia and around the world. And um, we are really seeing some, some wonderful things happen. There's a greater openness on a one-to-one -one level. We also have a ministry that has been kicked off amongst um, Israeli backpackers. And this is how you can perhaps be involved. We have a ministry that's uh, called Host Israelis. You might want to host Israelis in your home. We're looking for hosts. Uh, for young Israelis that travel, when they leave the army, they travel uh, out of Israel normally for about a year. They travel to South America. They travel to New Zealand. They travel to Australia. They travel to Asia. And we are uh, doing ministry around the globe with our various partner ministries and reaching out to these Israeli backpackers. And uh, you too can have the opportunity to have some Israelis come and stay in your home for a couple of nights. They're always looking for uh, accommodation. This is the time of the year that they're here, and uh, also uh, um, around summertime. So uh, it's uh, it's become busy again with the host Israelis. Wonderful opportunity to have them in your home, share some hospitality. Hopefully, have the opportunity to share the good news of the Messiah when they ask you. And uh, we are uh, taking applicants for hosting. So go to hostisraelis.com. And if you want to host, you have to go through an application process. Uh, there are a whole lot of videos that will train you how to share the good news with Israelis and how to host well. And then the Israelis join uh, that uh, in another way. They look at an app that's called Planet Zula, which uh, is a way in which uh, the Israelis access hosts around the, the world, but uh, especially here in Australia and New, and New Zealand. So that's somehow uh, a way you guys can be involved. Also, please pray. Continue to pray that Jewish people will be open to the good news. And even this year, Passover is on Wednesday night this week. And also, there's a second night of Passover where you have a meal as well. So Wednesday, Thursday night, be very busy in Jewish homes around the world celebrating Passover. Pray that this year they'll be able to see Messiah in the Passover. That God will lift up that veil and they'll be able to see him. All right. Come to my table afterwards. I have some... Uh, books there and some literature that you can take. I also have a clipboards somewhere around the traps. We're going to pass those clipboards around if you'd like to get a newsletter from us. We really do welcome that. We do need um, your prayers and support as a ministry that's reaching out to Jewish people. So we'll pass those clipboards around. They might still be on my table, perhaps, and uh, if you could fill that out, we'll really welcome that. All right. Are you ready for what comes after supper? All right. Didn't have a Huge meal. Maybe one day we'll have a sit-down meal together for Passover. Have we, we've done that before, haven't we, in the, uh, the other venues some 
some years ago perhaps. All right, first thing that happens after supper is the taking of the third cup. But before we drink the third cup, something needs to be retrieved. Remember what that piece of matzah was called that we wrapped up and we hid away? What was it called? The afi kumen. The afi, everyone say afi kumen. Okay, well done. The afikumen is found by someone in our home. It's a crazy time because what happens is we, we take up a collection from all the adults at the table. Everyone gives a bit of money. And then the one who finds the afikumen, the, the child that finds it, is given the bag of money. So you can imagine how they tear the place apart looking for the afikumen. The one who finds it is given a, a gift for retrieving it. Then it is given to the father of the house who takes the afikumen and breaks it up into little pieces. Everybody at the table gets a small piece of afikumen. Then that is eaten, and after that comes the cup of redemption, the cup after supper. Does that look familiar? I hope so. This, I believe, is the origin of our communion service or the Lord's Supper. In our community, we call it the Lord's Seder because it comes out of Passover, of course. And so let's have a look at this a little bit deeper. Let's look at the matzah first of all. You still have some matzah on your table? Everyone take a little piece of matzah if you have, or if you've eaten it all. All right, just hold it. Don't eat it yet, but have a look at the matzah. The matzah is unleavened bread, and leaven is a symbol of? Of sin. So the matzah reminds us of a sinless nature, and that speaks to us of Jesus the Messiah who was sinless. The prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 53, which is a wonderful prophecy about the Messiah. It is the prophecy that brought me to faith in the Lord. Because Isaiah 53 speaks of the Messiah, and it says in one of the verses, there was no deceit found in his mouth, nor had he done any violence. The Messiah had to be perfect, to be a sacrifice for others. You know, 2,000 years ago, there were a lot of people the Romans were killing uh, on crosses. It was a common way they executed criminals or people they didn't like, people who executed on crosses. But why would the death of this one man in Israel, in Jerusalem, 2,000 years ago, make a difference? Because he was no ordinary man. He was perfect, sinless. He was a sacrifice without spot or blemish. So we see this depicted in the matzah. But not only that. Remember that uh, the matzah has these kind of stripes running down it. Well, this happens when you bake the matzah, of course, in the oven. But for us, as we look at the matzah, it's an object lesson, once again, of the Messiah, who was striped, who was whipped by those Romans before he was put on the cross. And again, what did Isaiah 53 say? By his stripes, we are healed. But also, if you look at the matzah, if you still have a piece, you can see it's pierced, lots of holes in the matzah. Again, that's done for practical reasons, but an object lesson for us that points back again to the prophet Isaiah, who said he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brings us peace was upon him. Also, Zechariah, the prophet, says that one day the Jewish people will look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child. So this matzah for us, there's Witness of the Messiah who was sinless, who was striped and pierced for our transgressions, not his own. Not only that, but remember the three layers of matzah in the cover? Three layers, all separated, but yet form a unity within the pouch, a tri-unity. Now, the rabbis 
have a, an explanation as to why we have the three layers. They say that the three layers represent Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But why do we take out that middle layer, break it, bury it, let it come back? They don't have an answer. Other rabbis say the three layers represent the priests, the Levites, and the Israelites. And this particular matzah cover, you'll see the three tags on it. It has that interpretation on it. The priests, the Kohen, the Kohens, then you have the Levites, and then you have the Israelites. But why do we take out that middle layer, break it, bury it, later comes back? Well, again, there's no answer in that tradition. But we who believe in the Messiah believe that the matzah cover bears witness to the unity of one God revealed in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Why do we take out that middle layer of matzah, break it, bury it, let it comes back? Well, because Jesus, the Messiah, the second person on the Trinity, was revealed to us. He was made manifest, as the Gospel of John tells us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh. He was made manifest. The other two persons of the God had remained hidden from our view, but Jesus was made manifest. Why do we wrap up the matzah in white cloth and then bury it? Because Jesus was taken off the cross. He was wrapped up in white linen according to Jewish burial customs. He was then buried in the tomb. But death couldn't hold him down. Early on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead and came back, just like this tradition of the Afrikumen, which is retrieved. And so we can see the teaching of Jesus, death, burial, resurrection within these traditions of the Passover. Yet still, many of our people remain blind to Messiah in the Passover. Remember, Jesus took this bread and he broke it up and he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Whenever you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. We do so in remembrance of Jesus, the sinless Messiah who took upon himself our sins. He was crushed and pierced for our transgressions. And so next time you have the Lord's Supper, remember the symbolism. The sinless Messiah gave himself for each one of us. Praise God. And not only that, the, the third cup is the cup after supper. The cup after supper. This is the cup of redemption. At Passover time, wine should always be red, the rabbis say, to remind us of those lambs in Egypt whose lives were, were, uh, were lost. Those lambs were executed so that the blood would be painted on the doorposts of the houses. And so for us, of course, when we take of this third cup, we remember the blood of Yeshua, the Passover lamb, who was uh, slain for us. But also Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. The new covenant. Where was that prophesied? Well, it was prophesied by Jeremiah in chapter 31, where he said on behalf of God, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like that covenant I made with them when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, says the Lord. That's the Mosaic covenant. But this is the new covenant I'll make with Israel. I will write their, my laws in their hearts and in their minds. I shall be their, their God. They shall be my people. That's the new covenant Jesus was speaking about. But let's remember, around that table were his 12 disciples, all Jewish, because this new covenant was first made to the Jewish people. But it was then extended to all folks, to all peoples, to all nations. Any tribal family can be part of the new covenant of God through faith in Jesus. 
So together, through faith in Jesus, we're all made one in Him. Our sins are forgiven, and we praise and thank God for this new covenant when we drink this third cup. So remember that next time you have the Lord's Supper as well. The cup of redemption. There's the cup that we call the cup of Hallel. Now you all know a Hebrew word which is Hallelujah. Can you all say Hallelujah? Well done. You all speak Hebrew so well. Hallel means praise. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, of course. This is the cup of Hallel. Now during this time, there are songs that are sung. Psalms 112 to 118. Those psalms are known as the Hallel Psalms, psalms of praise. And when Jesus was with his disciples in the upper room, having Passover, afterwards they left and they walked to the Garden of Gethsemane. The Bible says they were doing something as they were walking. What does it say? While they were walking. Besides walking, what were they doing? Singing. What were they singing? Praises, psalms. They were singing these psalms, 112 to 118. The Hallel Psalms. And it's quite prophetic. Some of those words in Psalm 118, for instance, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. The stone that the builders have rejected has become the capstone. This is the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in our eyes. Jesus was going to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's going to be handed over by his own disciples, or his own disciple who betrayed him, should I say, over to the Romans who would then execute him. And so... He was singing those psalms as he walked to the Garden of Gethsemane. Read those psalms over the next uh, few days and see how it pictures uh, the redemption that comes through the Messiah. Now there is this final cup that I will tell you about, the cup from which nobody will drink, the cup of Eliyahu Hanavi, Elijah the prophet. And at this point of the service, we leave a place sitting untouched and a full cup of wine for Elijah. We go to the front door, open it wide into the night, hoping Elijah will be there. A song is sung about Elijah, that he would come and bring with him the Messiah. This is done every Passover meal, every year, waiting for Elijah to come. And in fact, at the end of every Sabbath in Jewish tradition, a song is sung for Elijah. Why is there such a longing in the hearts of Jewish people for Elijah? Well, the Hebrew prophet Malachi said that before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord, which is the coming of the Messiah, that he must be preceded by Elijah. Elijah is the forerunner for the Messiah, the one who comes to prepare the way. And I'm afraid that my people have been doing this ritual for the last 2,000 years in vain. Because when Jesus spoke about the prophet John the Baptist, what did Jesus say of John? If you care to accept it, he is the Elijah, the one who was to come. The Elijah, or the forerunner of the Messiah, has already come 2,000 years ago through the ministry of John the Baptist. And so has the Messiah come. And we can receive him now because to all those who have received him, he has given them the right to become the children of God. So that's part of our message, of course, we want to proclaim. Elijah has come through ministry of John the Baptist. Messiah has come. He has come to fulfill all that God had promised to to take us and to redeem us. And so we have this wonderful redemption. Are we going to just keep it to ourselves? No, let's hope not. Let's share it with those around us, Jew and Gentile alike, that all may come to know Yeshua, our Passover Lamb. Amen? Let's just pray. Lord, thank you so much that you've done so much for us. Lord, 
the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, but you didn't forget them. You sent them Moses as a redeemer, and you redeemed them out of bondage, Lord. And we thank you for that redemption. In the same way, Lord, you didn't leave us as sinners without hope, without a means of atonement. You sent Jesus, that even while we were still sinners, Messiah came and died for us. Thank you, Lord, for what you have done for us. Blessed be your name. We remember all that uh, it meant for you to be the, the Passover lamb for us. The agony of the cross. But Lord, we thank you so much for the resurrection of the Messiah that ensures not only that the Messiah himself was sinless and the Holy One of God and rose from the dead, but also that those who believe in him shall too rise from the dead and have the promise of eternal life. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. Blessed be your holy name. And we praise you and we give you thanks. Hashem Yeshua HaMashiach in the name of Jesus our Messiah. Amen. Thank you very much.